Oh, it's exciting. And do you feel like a quitter today? Anybody? A winner? (laughs) Well, let's do this. Uh, Let's do this for a minute. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about comparisons. And as we do, you know, not all comparisons are bad. And a lot of times we compare things. And hopefully you're a smart shopper anyway. I, I remember years ago just... You know, remember Consumer Reports? Remember when, when it was a magazine and you had to get it and it's like a month late? But, you know, still, it was helpful. But I just want to take a little comparison survey in here. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And none of this is really important. But um, I'm just curious, who's all about original uh, M&Ms and now peanut M&Ms? Whoa, look at that. All right, well, I, I, I agree with the crowd in this one. Okay, let's try another one. How about um, Pepsi, Coke? How about uh, Pepsi and Coke? Dude, let's try that again. Pepsi, Coke. Well, Coke wins, but I mean, not by a lot. How many are no, like, don't drink soda? I, I never, we didn't grow up that way. I mean, I, I, root beer is cool. I, I don't know. We just didn't, it just didn't grow up that way. So how many was that? No soda? You just don't. How many iced tea? All right. How many sweet tea? How many unsweet? Okay. That's interesting. All right. Uh, Almond Joy amounts. I know not all of you even eat these at all, but if you do, how many Almond Joy? And mounds? <laughs> You could put, actually, I did see a few people put both hands up, one for one and one for the other. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, here's a good one, and I know not everybody uses these brands, but who, who's Crest? I mean, I grew up on Crest and Colgate. All right. You know, my favorite is Pepsodent, though. Does anybody have that? It's hard to find that. You know, sometimes you can find it at the Dollar Tree or something, and then I wonder where it's made if I find it there, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it still tastes the same. I like that taste. Okay, let me ask you another question then. And this one probably is more serious, and I don't want any arguments, or we don't have to defend our choices here. But I'm just curious, who's iPhone and Galaxy, Samsung? Really? Let's do that. Okay, wait, hold yours up, Galaxy, again. Okay, now iPhone. Okay, let's do it a different way. How about Android, just Android, all Android? Wow. Okay. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Uh, Okay. All right. Well, all that's just kind of fun and games unless, you know, you're arguing with your spouse about it or you're trying to get your kids to do it. You know what I was going to do is Listerine and Scope. Does anybody even use those anymore? Does that ever even happen? How many do use that? Really? Okay. That's good. I mean, it's good to have a fresh mouth. I'm not saying it's not good. It's just, I remember growing up, we always had to have Listerine. And I remember asking my parents, like, why does it have to taste so bad? And they say, well, that means it's working. Does anybody remember that? <laughs> I'm not sure that's true. Actually, when I, was, when I first went to college, I was a microbiology major, and we actually did a test. I know this sounds ridiculous, but we, this is stuff we did. But we had a Petri dish, and we would grow things in it, and then we actually would test different products to see which would kill better. And we actually did scope and Listerine. Which do you think killed better? I would think that, but evidently there, it's not the taste that kills. Its scope was actually more effective in killing. I don't know why. I mean, we didn't judge why at that point, but yeah, the problem is with comparisons, though, is it doesn't stop at, you know, toothpaste. The problem is it's oftentimes more about people, and it it seems to center around accomplishments, and there's times where you see somebody who's achieving something, and then right away in our minds, we start to say things like, oh, yeah, but they had it easy, or 
they knew somebody, or it's, it's not fair. I could have done that if... It's kind of, I don't want to let it, all the secrets about guys out, but every guy here, we all think we could have played in the NFL, right? <laughs> I mean, we all think that. If, there's always a little if, like if I was a little taller or a little faster. I mean, you know, or if I didn't blow my knee out or something. They get all the breaks. We make excuses like that, or sometimes it happens in the house, you know, like maybe you have a brother or sister, and, and we struggle for a parent's affirmation or attention, and maybe one kid does a little better, or none of you have favorites, right? We don't, we're not allowed to do that, but there's something, though, that as you get older and maybe you notice things, and maybe you have the sense that my job was never as good as my brother's job, or maybe they didn't approve of your choice and who you dated, or whatever it is, that struggle to get that approval because you're comparing, it's, it's tough, and then sometimes if you have a really good brother, they might rub it in like, oh, yeah, mom likes me more because, you know, can you imagine being Jesus' brother? <laughs> I mean, seriously, I've always wondered about this because his brothers, you know, we see his brothers and sisters in Scripture. We know, you know, that James was his brother, ended up being the, the lead over the, the church in Jerusalem. And then Jude says he's one of the brothers, you know, in the Bible. So James and Jude in there. And um, that would have been weird, wouldn't it? And I'm not saying, you know, there's, there's weird writings that say Jesus, like, raised a bird from the dead as a child and all that. And that's all outside of Scripture. We don't see any of that in Scripture. But just know that it had to be tough growing up with Jesus. Can you imagine Mary saying, James, seriously, can you be more like Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that, that may be why they rejected him first and early on, because they're like, Mom thinks he's great. Now all these people think he's great. Uh, will it ever end? Now, there's a lot of this comparison-type stuff in the Bible, too, and it's, I, I know we're all familiar with a lot of it. I mean, Cain and Abel, right? A lot of comparisons there, and Cain, couldn't, he struggled with the fact that Abel was approved by God, and for whatever reason, he couldn't, he couldn't figure it out and get it right, and he struggled, struggled, struggled with that comparison and went to an incredible you know, extreme in the first murder in the history of humankind, and Jacob and Esau and desire for their parents' approval. And evidently in that family, Esau was the tough, manly guy, the hunter and all hairy and whatever. And Jacob was not more of a mama's boy, stayed at home, cooked, soft, but he wanted dad's approval. And in the end, he needed dad's approval. So he tricks and fools his dad. His dad's blind. And so he puts fur on his arms to simulate. He must have been a hairy guy, his brother, but all for what? It's all comparisons. He wasn't good enough. We it sinks into our heart and our minds. And you guys know the story of Joseph. And he was, you remember, if you remember that story, we'll talk about his, their moms in a little bit. But, but Jacob, his father, had two, two wives and then two concubines. But Joseph was the son of his favorite wife, favorite son. And he was younger. Now, Benjamin probably wasn't even born yet when this was already established. Benjamin was the youngest son, but all the other 10 brothers had to always hear about Joseph. Joseph this, Joseph that. He gets the coat of many colors. Joseph hears dreams. Why can't I hear any dreams? And you can see the comparisons just built in and the resentment builds and the anger builds and the sense of frustration and that lingering doubt. Why am I not good enough? Why does he like him more? And, oh, it's horrible. And then talking about those moms, Leah and Rachel, horrible you know the story jacob 
went to find a wife. He fell in love with Rachel immediately, but she was the younger sister. So the father, Laban, pulls a fast one on the wedding night. Must have been really dark, I'm just saying. But anyway, slips in Leah. And then all of a sudden, Jacob in the morning's like, hey, what happened? I got tricked here and he didn't even love her. And she knew it. Can you imagine that pain? And Rachel's beautiful, and she's not. And, and if you read that story through, it's really sad. I mean, she, she even names her children things like, I gave my husband a son, maybe he'll love me now. It's kind of a long name, but in Hebrew it's shorter. But do, do you see the pain in there, the comparison? But some of us can relate to that growing up thinking, I don't fit stereotypical beauty. I don't look like the girl in the magazine. I don't have... I almost said I don't have abs. I guess we all have abs. They just don't, don't look, you just can't see them. They're uh, hidden under a few inches or something. I mean, but you don't feel like you're good enough. You're not pretty enough, skinny enough. You know what else I've noticed? Seems like the, the, the most painful and destructive comparisons, they happen with people that are closer to us. It's not as if we compare ourselves to people far away because ultimately that's not what matters. It's, it's the neighbor's yard, right? And he's got that dang mower. It's just an incredible mower. I need a mower like that, right? And she's got this, and he's got that, and we compare, and you're looking right across the fence. It's not three doors down. It's right across the fence, and his yard's green, and uh, we learn it early. Happens in our families, doesn't it? And even if it's not directly aimed at you, you may be hearing it as a kid and growing up and hearing, you know, maybe mom and dad compare whatever they're comparing. And maybe you pick it up because you feel that sense that you don't measure up. Or maybe, maybe it's even, maybe you're in a big family and it's about the cousins. Well, this cousin got straight A's. What did your son do? Or, and you hear this growing up and you feel that I'm not as good as them. I'm not as valuable because they have this or they did this or they accomplished that. Our culture's designed this way. I mean, you know, and, and I'm not saying competition's bad, but with so much competition. And how many of you remember grading on a scale? I don't even think that even exists anymore, does it? Oh, man, if, you, if you're not familiar with grading on a scale, this is how it works. You know, on a, on a regular scale, you know, an A would be like 90% and above, then a B is 80 and above, and C is 70 above. Well, on a scale, what'll happen is you'll take a test, let's say, and let's say it's really a difficult test. This happened as a science major all the time, and a really difficult test, and the highest score is a 70 then they scale it back, and so you could, be, you could have done really well, but just because the person maybe pegged a scale at 95, and you did an 80, now you're a C instead of a B. Do you see how that works? You're measured against someone else's performance rather than your own achievement, and it sinks in. And then you start to really resent that one person who always breaks the scale or sets the scale in the class. It's tough because we... When we, when we struggle with this kind of competition, it leads us to a sense of dissatisfaction and, and a deep envy and a jealousy. And the Bible has another word for it. It calls it covet. When we actually want what somebody has desperately inside and it starts to feed on itself and grow. And it's almost like a cancer that you can't control and it, and it eats away. And last week we talked about quitting and we talked about how there's things we needed to quit. And how many of you quit something last week? I, had a, I actually got a lot of emails and texts from people that just said, I was really struggling with some things, and I realized I needed to quit, and they, they mentioned a few of the things they quit. We talked about saying quitting 
quitting the crowd and quitting the pressure of the crowd and quitting busyness. Today, what I want to challenge you to do is to quit that comparison trap. I just want you to quit. I wish, I wish for all of us, and myself included, I could just say, quit it. Did you ever hear that? Maybe in the back of the car and your kids are like, quit it, quit it, quit it. And the parents say, quit it, just stop. Wouldn't it be nice if it was that easy? And you could just say, I'm going to stop this and write it down and it's done. And you walk away. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. Unfortunately, we try to find handles and say, how do we do this? Well, let me, let me say this. I think it's a mistake if you assume it's just about things. It's not a stuff issue. And a lot of times, we don't want to take personal responsibility for what's going on in our, in our heart and mind. And so we just we want to make it external. And we say, it's about these things. And if I, if I only had more money, or if I had a bigger house, or if I had a nicer car, if I had those things, then everything would be okay, and I wouldn't, wouldn't struggle with this comparison thing. But we know that's a lie, because... If you had a nicer car or a better thing, you would just find someone else who had a nicer er, er, car, right? <laughs> it's not a people issue either. I mean, you might say to yourself, it'd be easy if there weren't so many skinny people at my work. <laughs> but then what would happen is everybody your size would be comparing each other, right? It's what we do. It's how we are. It's inside of us. I mean, we, we could say if there weren't just so many pretty people or if they didn't have such nice clothes and we could all be on the same. And I, and I know that's the mentality. I mean, that's the mentality behind school uniforms. It's like everybody dresses the same. We're all the same. Rather than getting at the root of the issue, which is that comparison and that competition and that drive to be better than him or better than her, to be noticed and accepted. And somehow it's that. Really, it's an insecurity. And I, it's because there's a brokenness inside of us that needs to be healed that we feel like we have to compare and that somehow by being better than them, we're better. Or there's a worth that is attached to those things. And inside, we automatically do the math and we say, I don't measure up. You might say to yourself, let's see, I'm 30. I'm not, but I'm 30. And by 30, man, he already had this and this and this and this. And then by 40, you realize... I'm way behind and I don't measure up. And then you start to measure yourself by other people's accomplishments at whatever. The sad thing is it's really a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's a core spiritual issue. And to address this, I'm going to take us actually right to the Ten Commandments. It says in Exodus 20, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Hmm. Covet. We're not supposed to covet any of those things. Comparison is deadly. I think my shirt's rubbing on this, so. Comparison is deadly. And what it does is it reduces people to things and objects, and we want this or that. It can be an I anything or a dress or a bank account. In the New Testament, we're told comparison is unwise. In 2 Corinthians, it says, we, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, say that fast five times, they are not wise. And Paul, in context here, what he's talking about is, is, is different public speakers that would come into town and say, I'm great, look how great I am, and all of that is a comparison trap. 
And Paul was knowing that the people were comparing the different pastors and leaders that had been in their church and saying, well, this one did this for me and this one did this for me. And all those negative comparisons, rather than appreciating what contribution each of them made. Remember in 1 Corinthians, he talks about the difference between what Apollos had done and what Paul had done. And he said, Apollos watered and I reaped a harvest, but we all did our part. It all comes down to comparison, even in the church, even among spiritual leaders. It's a horrible, horrible thing, and it's deadly, and it's unwise. And I think one of the fruit that is born from this is the fact that there's a direct connection between your lack of joy and gratitude and your compulsion to compare. If there was a way to measure your joy and your gratitude right now, and as you measured that in your own heart and spirit, your gratitude and your joy with what you have or who you are or the gifts God has given you, And as you were to measure your sense of contentment in those areas, and if you were to find that that was lacking in some way, I'll bet you it it would be easy to tie it directly to you comparing. To you comparing. And it eats away at you. Could we... Let me me add to that a little bit. It's a deadly game because no one wins. Either... Here's... This is true. Either it gives you a false sense of pride, I'm better than them because I'm skinnier, and be like, really? That makes you better? But we feel that way, don't we? We grasp for those silly little things. It's a false sense of pride, or else it's also a false sense of lack of pride. It's, either one is a lie. They're both lies. You're not better because you have or you are these things, and you're not less than because you don't have And aren't those things. Both of those are lies. It just leads to complaining and competing. And you know, there's always someone prettier and faster and more talented and a better speaker and a better leader and a better parent and smarter and funnier. And we go on and on, right? It's always better. So here, I have a solution for us today. And here it is. You just need to quit. Can we do this together? Can we say, I quit? Let's try it again on three. One, two, I quit. You were wondering if it was on three or after three. I know. We're all like spies in Mission Impossible. Okay, let's go on three. But then you don't. Do you say three? Okay. Can we quit? If I, if I just said, can we quit? Can we be done and go home? Let me, let me add a little more to it. Because I really want us to quit. I want to quit. We need to quit. And the first thing you need to do is be aware that you compare do you like that little rhyme? Okay, be aware that you compare. Just, just clearly identifying the problem often is, is halfway to a solution. Because most of us go through life and we don't even realize we're doing it. We're raised this way. It's part of the air we breathe. It's, it's the life that we've been born into in the home we're in. And it's just how we are. And probably even as I'm talking, I know I'm doing this as I'm talking, we probably realize we've passed this on to our kids unintentionally. And you regret it already. Because you didn't intend for them to fall into a comparison trap, but it's, it's how you're trying to motivate them to be better. And you're saying, couldn't you do this? Or why don't you do this? And unfortunately, it's playing on their young psyche and their mind and their self-esteem and their self-worth. And they're thinking, if I could just be like her, mom would like me more. And that's not what you mean. That's not what you intend. Somehow we switch it from performance to character or identity. And we make that mistake and it happens like that. But to be aware you're doing it is a huge step in the right direction. 
To admit you're doing it is a step in the right direction. Be aware that you compare. The second thing is a big thing today. Don't use social media as a measurement tool. <laughs> Are you saying don't use social media or as a measuring tool? Both. <laughs> Here's the thing. I love social media. I do. But like any good thing, it's fraught with danger. Danger in a lot of ways. It can be used for evil all the time, and we're, most of us are aware of bullying that can, then, that can happen versus, you know, via social media or, or impure things or, or you know, flat-out wrong things, whatever. I get all that. That's not what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about today is how social media, a lot of times we look at it and maybe look at it with good intentions, but then as we do, we start to compare ourselves to what we see there. But social media is a, a really poor, poor measuring tool. And if you're prone to comparison, it just magnifies that problem. It's like putting an accelerant on a fire. It just blows it up. Most of the time, people are putting their highlights on there. And what you do is compare your normal life to their highlight reel. It's like a Christmas letter, which are wonderful. I love catching up with people, but, but f- Facebook and, and, and Twitter, whatever you use, it could be, whatever you use, any of those tools, Snapchat or Instagram, whatever, it's almost as if, and I'm not criticizing them altogether, and I'm not criticizing what you're doing, but it's almost like bragging, right, all the time? I mean, it's not, but it is. And, and if, you're, if you're prone to compare, you see it that way. And you might read it and start off really positive, right? And you might sit, look on there and see, oh, look, she got that job I wanted. Wait a minute. I applied for that job. I didn't know she was applying. I told her about that job. She knew I was applying, and she applied anyway. And then all of a sudden, you're mad, and you're angry. <laughs> or how about this? Um, oh, look, my two friends went to dinner without me. <laughs> hmm. To my favorite place. They know it's my favorite place. But they probably didn't invite me because I'm really busy. But, but I wasn't busy that day. Oh, I didn't get the invitation because they didn't even text. They didn't even try. See how this works? It's horrible. You might look at it and you say, oh, look at their vacation. How nice. I wish we could go on vacation. I wish we could go there. Look at her in that suit, bathing suit. She probably had some work done. I would never wear that. That is way too revealing. I can't even believe she calls herself a Christian. I know. What happens is you know you're falling behind because you're keeping score without even meaning to keep score. And you do it on so many levels. You, you fight it, but it is what it is. And you wonder, are my friends intentionally posting things to hurt my feelings and to make me feel like a loser and to make me feel like I don't have any social life? No, they're not. Maybe they are. If they are, they, you shouldn't be your friends. But You know what happens? If you don't quit... If you don't quit this, what will happen is you will just build up resentment and anger, and it will ruin your relationships. And and probably worse, it it will wound your heart in ways that are difficult to come back from, because you will start to think all of those lies you tell yourself are true, and they're not true. And the lies you tell yourself about your friends are not true. And the feelings of inadequacy and the reminders of your failure, all of that is a lie, 
and you'll start to let it sink into your heart. This is the truth. Social media's highlight reel isn't real. It's not real. It's like when you're watching a TV show and you're getting all worried about the character. Don't they see that person around the corner and they've got a knife? And it's not real. It's not real. None of that is real. This isn't real. It's not real life. It's, a, it's, a, it's an edited collection of what people want to say. And I'm not even criticizing that. There's nothing necessarily wrong with someone saying, hey, look, that's a great thing. I'm not criticizing that. What I'm criticizing is what we do with that. And when we interpret that as real life and we compare it to our real life, it's a danger. So I'm going to challenge you to do something that is really, really difficult to do, but it's the right thing to do. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Choose admiration over envy. I believe you can choose this. You can choose this. You can choose when you look at something that somebody's doing, you can choose your response to it. And it's kind of a fine line because on the one hand, you might see what somebody's doing and you'd say, always wanted to do that. And you can envy them or you can say, I want to do that and set a goal to do that. There's, it's a fine line. I get it. But it's a heart issue. It's an attitude issue. It's a spiritual issue. I mean, we know that envy is wrong but we don't often celebrate. And I'll tell you, it's hard to envy when you're celebrating somebody. It's hard to do both at the same time. That needs to be our first choice, but it's difficult. Whether you choose to, to admire or envy really tells a lot about your direction and your value system. Because if it's envy, that means you value things over people. But if it's, if it's admiration then you value the person and the relationship over the thing. It's a deep question, though. I understand that. So let me ask you some questions to try to filter through. What do they have that, what do they have that you wish you had? What is it about that thing that is so desirable for you? Does it mean status? Does it mean achievement? Is it really that great? Does what you have really pale that much in comparison, or is it just shiny? I mean, what is it? What do I admire about them? What is it? Is it an accomplishment or is it, a, is it a personality trait that I could develop? How about this? What is it about what they've accomplished? What is it about that achievement? And here's a really deep question. What have they done to get there? Now, I, I know what we do. We usually say, oh, they had it easy. They knew somebody. They cheated, whatever. But what did they do to get there? Because sometimes you don't know. You're comparing your rough draft, draft to their finished product. You're, here's the thing. You don't see their hard work that went in behind that. You don't see that what they, how they practiced to get where they are. You don't see what they sacrificed. All you see a lot of times is the end result, and it, they make it look so easy, and you, you wonder, why is it so easy for them? But you don't see the failures and the rejection. Remember hearing this story once, this classical pianist was playing, and somebody walked up, and they'd say, I give my life to play like that. And he looked up at him and goes, really? Because I did. Uh, you just don't play like that overnight. You give up everything. And that guy probably didn't play sports like you did, or he probably didn't have some of the relationships you had because he was practicing two, three, four, five hours a day to play like that. And you don't see that. We assume it's luck or raw talent, but those things are really rare. The fact is, most people work hard for what they do, and 
The truth is, if you work hard, you're going to outperform talented people eventually because a lot of times talented people don't work as hard. They just rest on their talents. So what are the qualities you admire? And are those qualities that even if you had, they would express themselves a little different and that would be okay? I mean, I know people who are so funny that sometimes I'm around them and I think, gosh, I wish I was funny like that. I just, I enjoy being around them and the humor. Then I think, well, if everybody was exactly the same and the exact same kind of funny, it would stop being funny. You know that guy that tells you the same joke every time you see him and you try to laugh because you're just polite, but it's not as funny, right? Because we're not all the same. We're not intended to be the same. It shouldn't be that way. Let me add to this. Allow comparison to become celebration. So instead of you just measuring this against that, celebrate what other people have and what they're doing. And just like I said a minute ago with admiration, as you're celebrating, it's hard to be envious when when you're celebrating somebody. I want to take it a step further as almost a, a way to heal yourself, tell them. I, I've noticed this, that, that silent and private admiration doesn't really do much good. Gratitude, same thing. When you tell somebody, it makes a big difference. Just tell them, man, I'm so happy for you and what happened here, and I'm, I, I think this is great. And I see a lot of us do that on Facebook, and it's wonderful. Maybe you write a comment. and Sometimes I think that like button is insufficient. You know, because you might put some on there and see 25 likes or more or whatever. And I don't know how many of you do this. I don't very often go through and see everybody who liked it. But I do read the comments. Those can be really powerful. I'm so happy for you. I love that this happened for you. I, th- I think that's great how you did this. When you speak that out loud, it's an amazing thing. It, it changes you. And at first, you may not feel it that much. It may just feel really hard to say, like, oh, I'm really happy for you. But it'll change you, I promise. Not only that, it will speak life to them in a way that is beyond what you can imagine. Think of this verse a lot. Don't use foul or abusive language. Of course, you're not doing that, I know. But let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Words are so powerful. Be an encourager. Be an encourager. Here's the real point today. The main point, you have to get straight who God made you to be. It's really about you and your identity with God. Jealousy jealousy and selfishness, let's read James what he says. Jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly and unspiritual and demonic. How often do you see that in the Bible? Seriously, not very often. James says those are demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfishness, selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. I don't want that. You need to quit that. Quit it. Comparison and envy are horrible. But there's more to it than that. There's a positive side to this. In Galatians, Paul tells us, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Do you see what that means? I know it's hard to grasp all of some of these words and phrases in Scripture and and apply it to this. Here's how it applies. You've been comparing yourself to other people, and you forget who you are in Christ. You forget what he did for you. Now, we celebrated communion today, and we talked about his sacrifice on the cross, 
And we talked about what he bought with, with his blood for us. What, what you may not have picked up in that is that he redeemed you. He redeemed you. He bought our freedom for us. That means you're worth that. You are a person of immeasurable worth that the Son of God himself would come to earth and with his blood buy your freedom. And then it gets better. He adopts us as his very own children. You may not feel like much when you compare yourselves to other people, but you're comparing yourself to the wrong thing. It's not about other people. The fact is, you're a child of God. And we, you might, that phrase might roll off your tongue maybe a little too easily because it's a big, big, big deal. He adopted you. You were, you were not less than anybody. You were a child of God. That's who you are. You, you have a unique part to play. In his creation, he gave us all incredible gifts. He, he didn't intend for any of us to be the same. He created us unique. Oscar Wilde once said, you might as well be yourself because everybody else is already taken. It's true. It's true. I want to say something that when I read this the first time, it kind of struck me odd. Jesus didn't save you just to go to heaven. I'll let that sink in for a minute. He didn't save you just to go to heaven. Is it in? He didn't save you just to go to heaven. He also saved you to recreate in you the person that he originally intended. He also saved you to heal the broken places that are there. He doesn't intend for us all to go to heaven and then be glorified in a perfect body. He wants to glorify and perfect us now. He wants to work in us now, and the things that that are broken and hurting, he wants to heal them now. That's what he saved us for, and that's a work that he does in us. It's a process that he takes us through. He's making us into the people. He's taking the broken things and making them right. The next two verses in that, in that chapter in Galatians says, and because we are his children, have you got that yet? You're his children? God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting out us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. You may have heard this before, maybe not. But when it says, Abba, Father, that, that indicates a special relationship between you and God. That's where you, instead of calling him, like I grew up in a military family. We didn't do this, but I had friends who were required to call their dad, sir, or commander. I, I'm not kidding you. God tells us to call him daddy. Daddy. Abba is a special term, like dad. It, it, it means you understand you are special to him. Dad. I've heard preachers get up and pray, daddy. It always throws me off. <laughs> Just sounds weird, doesn't it? it? Sounds disrespectful. I'm not telling you to pray that way. What I'm saying is you have that relationship whether you see it or not. That's what he wants from you. You know how it is when your kids are struggling with something? Maybe they're comparing themselves to somebody else. Maybe it's your daughter, and she says, she's so pretty. Her hair is just perfect. And you're looking at her, and you're hurting deep inside because you love her so much, and you know how much is good in her, and you know how much worth she has, and you wish she could see what you see in your kid. Do you know that God sees that in you? He created something in you that he didn't create in anybody else. 
And he wants you to live that out and contribute that to the body of Christ and to this world. And he's placed us in places that no one else is placed in to do things no one else can do. And just like you feel that sense of, of wonder and, and pride in your child, he feels that in you. And when he sees you struggling with this comparison and comparing yourself to whoever, he's just hurting inside for you and saying, child, don't compare to them. I love them too, but I love you specially like this. That's what he has for you. It's special. We serve a God who's created us in miraculous ways. Here's the bottom line. God defines your worth. Not things or a mower or, God forbid, a Facebook post for real. God defines your worth. Who you are is who you are in Christ. Who you are is who he made you to be. That's who you need to compare yourself to. That's the ultimate measure of your worth is who God sees you as. Can I have the worship team make their way up here? I want to encourage you as you work on this. You, you may need some time to heal in this, and you may, some of you may need to take a break from social media because it's such a powerful tool that the enemy uses to confuse us and, and, and the comparison, the images, and whatever. You may need to take a break for a minute just to do a little bit of healing. It may take some time for you to spend time with God and to say, God, I know you value me. I see it here, but I don't feel it sometimes because I don't feel like I measure up. And it may be because of what you've been through or how you've been raised, or there may be words echoing in your mind from your childhood even, or it may have been something a teacher said or some inadequacy that somebody pointed out. I'll never forget, I was in 10th grade French class. I remember sitting there and the teacher, Mrs. Gagnon, said, Dennis, maybe you should talk to your mom maybe about getting on tetracycline or something because they can clear up that acne. Yeah, that was awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Do you know how long I thought about that? Oh, my gosh. And you just think, thank you very much. (laughs) It's words like that that you never forget. I can see the classroom that day. I can see the heads of everybody flip around like, ooh, you know what I'm saying? God might need to heal some things in you that you've walked around with your whole life long. But I'm here to tell you today, he does that. He cares about you. He cares about how you see yourself and and the worth you see yourself having. And believe me, I'm not saying that there aren't things you could have done better and there aren't mistakes that we've made that you regret. Of course there are. That's life. But we serve a God who takes all those things and he says, bring them to me. I will carry them. What I'm challenging you to do today is to quit the comparisons, quit all of that, because winners quit. Winners do quit. I want you to shut your eyes with me for a moment. I'm going to ask you two two questions, sets of questions, but the first one is for people. I I ask you to shut your eyes if you're new here. I I do that a lot because it gives us a sense of privacy in the moment, And, and people aren't looking around. This is really between you and God. But I want to ask you a very serious question. You may have been here today and you've heard what we call the gospel, the good news that God loves us and wants to give us a new life. You've heard that in the, in the communion time. You've heard it in the sermon in different ways. But I want to give you a chance. If you've, maybe for the first time, you would like to say, 
I need a relationship with God like you've described here today. I need to quit not only the comparisons, but I need to quit living for myself. And I want him to forgive me in the way you've talked about today. And I want him to be my Lord and Savior forever. If that's you and you want to do that, we want to pray with you. And I'm asking you if you just raise your hand really quickly. I do see that hand and I see that hand. See two. Anybody else? Just so you know, the reason I say I saw that hand is to let them know they can put it down. But I also say it because if you're sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, that's me, but I don't want to raise my hand. I don't want to be embarrassed. I understand that. It's not about embarrassment. It's about you joining us and making a decision that all of us have made at one point in our lives. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pause right here. I'm going to have all of us pray together, but especially you two who raised your hands, I want you to really intentionally pray this and mean this. Then I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. I'm going to have the worship team lead us, and we're going to open this, this area in front for you to come down and pray with us. And, and you two who raised your hands, I'd love to pray with you today just to confirm that. So let's do this. Everybody, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And you two who raised your hands, I want you just to really mean this. Father God, Everybody repeat after me. Father God, I'm sorry for the things I've done that were wrong. I'm so grateful that you paid the price for those things. I want you to take them away. I want you to come and live in me, change me, give me a new life. Amen. Amen. With your eyes still closed, I want to ask you just a couple more questions. Maybe all this comparison that we do on a daily basis has left you feeling not enough or that you don't measure up or you're not this or you're not that. You've fallen in the comparison trap. If that's you on one level or another, again, with your eyes closed, I just want you to admit to it because if you admit to it, it helps. Just raise your hand real quick if that's you. You've been comparing All right, appreciate that honesty. Here's the next challenge. I want to challenge you for this next week to celebrate rather than compare. How many, I'm going to ask, just again with your eyes closed, how many would try to do that this week, that you would celebrate and not compare? All right, appreciate that. If you would stand with me. As a worship team plays, I just want to invite those of you who raised your hand and and anybody else who needs prayer for anything, whether it's healing or maybe you're struggling with this still or or a sense of identity, if you'd like prayer for any of those things, we want to pray with you. And I invite the pastors and wives and board and wives, prayer team of wives to come on down for a few minutes.